1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you could please stand for the reading of God's word. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. You may be seated. It's amazing what uniforms can do for some people. You can take a man and dress him in sweatshirt and jeans, and he's just a man in sweatshirt and jeans. But put him in a uniform, and he suddenly becomes a different person. One that may not only look better, but that has a high sense of identification and privilege. He really feels that he belongs, maybe to something unique or special with a higher purpose than himself. And consequently, he begins to act in a different manner. His whole bearing changes. Remember Cliff Barrows? He, he directed the choir for Billy Graham, worked with the Billy Graham crusade for years and years. He was busily attending one time to the details of a series of evangelistic meetings when he was approached by a little lady wanting to reminisce about the times that they had sung together. Cliff didn't have the slightest idea who she was, but, but discovered that her idea of singing with Cliff Barrows was that she had once been a member of his 10,000 voice choir in a football stadium. For her, the big thing was that she identified with this, with his group, and she felt privileged to be a part of it, and had never forgotten it. I think it would be a mistake to underestimate the sense of privilege that people can have by identifying with a certain cause or individual. Often it will make them behave in a way that they had never behaved before or perform in a manner greater than they've ever been able to perform before. And that is true, or this is true as well, of Christians who are privileged to be identified with the greatest cause in the world, the greatest cause ever known. The Apostle Paul in this passage that Dean read for us today, um, well, he makes it obvious in this book, in in 1 Corinthians, that he's having a bit of a hard time with the believers at Corinth. Many of them are not particularly impressed with him. Some don't like the things he preaches. Some don't like the way he looks. Others question that he is an apostle at all. One group wants him to come back. Another group was just as soon he never came back again. Paul's trying to mold the church at Corinth into a cohesive unit, attempting to get them to agree on something, and the something he chooses here in this passage is privilege. Can't we agree about our privileged position? Can't we let that motivate us to begin moving 
in the same direction. So let's unpack this a little today. First of all, Paul begins by speaking to the privilege of being a servant. The privilege of being a servant. Paul says that we should be regarded as servants of Christ. The Greek word here is hupiertes, and I'm no Greek scholar. I think that's the correct pronunciation. I can't even pronounce English, so you know I'd struggle with Greek. The word here is translated in English as servant. And it's descriptive of a person who simply existed to fulfill the wishes of his master or chief authority. Remember when John Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, it says that he went as their hupiertes, or in the passage that speaks to that, it's translated as helper. It does not mean that he led worship services for them, but instead attended to the small stuff, like the paperwork. Say, for instance, He went to the embassies to get their visas. He made sure their passport pictures were right. He handled all the hotel reservations. That kind of stuff. John Mark's sole responsibility was to see that the wishes and desires of Paul and Barnabas were met. That is the idea behind the word, or or a hupertes, a servant. Another interesting usage of the word is found in the Gospels, when Jesus on one occasion said, settle matters, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the hupertes, and you may be thrown into prison. Here, the word in English is, depending on the version you read, Officer or jailer. Again, depending on the version of the Bible that you have. The officer does not decide what's going to happen to people. The judge does that. The officer simply exists to carry out the wishes of his authority of principle. The judge, so that those wishes may become reality. What Paul is saying then is that we are like the jailer to the judge. We are like John Mark to Paul and Barnabas. In our relationship with Jesus, we have a privileged position. We have come into relationship with Jesus so that we might be the practical means of his wishes coming to fulfillment and completion as his hupirites. Now, the usage of this word hupirates in secular Greek uh, provides even further insight. In ancient days, the boats that plied the waters of the Mediterranean were propelled by men pulling on oars. These rowers were on the lower deck, down underneath, and on the upper deck was the captain. The captain was the one who decided where the boat was going and how fast. Now, um, the captain could decide where the boat was going and how fast all he wanted to, but without the men pulling on the oars, they wouldn't get there. 
By the same token, the men below decks pulling on the oars could make all kinds of decisions that didn't mean a thing because it was the man on the upper deck who decided where they were going and how fast. A relationship existed. A relationship between captain and under rower. In fact, the word hupirates, translated in secular Greek, means exactly that. Under rower. Hypo, under, eterates, rower. So if you want a clear picture of your relationship with your relationship with Jesus Christ, this is it. We have been called by the Lord Jesus to pull on the oars so that his ship of state can sail to the places he chooses. So that he, the captain, can accomplish what he desires. Isn't that a great picture? I've been given an oar, and you've been given your oar, and we're all in the ship together, every one of us, servants of Jesus Christ, pulling together. Or at least that's our hope, isn't it? What we need to do is get rid of thinking that says, well, I'm tired of pulling on my oar. Or why can't I have their oar? Or why does she get to sit up front while I get to have to sit in the back? Each of us must do our own job with our eyes and minds fixed on the man, the captain on the upper deck, who is deciding where we are all going. Amen? Then next, Paul says in this first verse, we have the privilege of being entrusted. We have the privilege of being entrusted. We have the privilege of being entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, in some other versions, it may speak... um, or say that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And for us, the idea of secrets or mysteries may be a little confusing in this context, so I, I want to take just a moment to clarify here. A secret, by definition, is something kept hidden or unexplained, or something kept from the knowledge of others or shared only confidentially with a few. Mystery, a mystery, by definition, is something not understood or beyond understanding. Unfortunately, when some people read the word secret or mystery in the New Testament, they think that God is some like some kind of author of a whodunit mystery novel. And you're reading through this thing, and this happens, and you think you figured it out, and then some other twist comes into the picture, and now you're confused, and, and it just keeps going that way, and maybe somewhere toward the end you'll figure out what the answer to the mystery is. Is well when we when we read the word here in the New Testament when we read the word mystery it has nothing to do with our modern concept. To us, a mystery is something confusing, maybe beyond our ability to figure out. A secret is something that remains a mystery to us because we cannot know it. The Greeks thought differently. They had secret societies or mystery religions. If you weren't a member, you had no idea what was going on. But if you were initiated into membership, everything was revealed to you. 
When the New Testament uses the word secret or mystery, it isn't talking about a thing you can't know. It's talking about things now revealed to you that you previously didn't know and may still be unknown to some other people. The mysteries of God have been revealed to the initiated, says Paul. But he adds that those of us who have received the mysteries have had our eyes opened and must understand that as we have received this instruction, uh, this information, this insight, it is a sacred trust. We are to prove faithful trustees of the secrets or mysteries of God. When you take your money to the bank, you give it to the teller. You have no idea who he or she is, but you never think for a minute that the teller will stuff that many money in their pockets and spend it. At least, I think you probably don't think that. I know maybe you don't trust banks, but you know that when you take your money and give it to the teller for deposit, you are trusting and trusting your money to the bank. It's your money, but they are going to accept full responsibility for administrating it as you wish until you want it back again. In the same way, when Jesus opens our eyes to the truth, when we become initiated into the mysteries of God, when God has shown himself to you through Jesus Christ, when you've begun to understand redemption, it isn't in order that you might just sit back and enjoy it. It is in order that you might be like the banker handing, handling someone else's money, holding it in trust for them. That is the privilege Paul is speaking about. It is being a part of Jesus' ship of state, pulling on our oars, contributing to getting the ship to where he wants it to go. We are privileged people because he has opened our eyes to things that other people do not understand and has entrusted this information to us in order that we may do with it as he wishes. And ultimately, that we might share it with others who do not know. We all need to experience the deep sense of privilege that comes from realizing that God, for reasons that only He knows, has called you and me and all His people to be under rowers entrusted with the secrets of God. <clears throat> what a privilege. And then in verse 2, Paul tells us that as hupirites, as under rowers, as servants, we are called to be faithful. The privileged are called to be faithful. What would motivate us to be faithful? Well, one thing that can motivate us is our sense of pride in our privileged position. In effect, our perspective should be, imagine God choosing me. Imagine God choosing me. I think you'll hear some of that tomorrow night if you come and listen to Jan and Bill. Imagine God deciding to do it this way, and I'm part of that. Imagine me, imagine me being part of this whole thing. It's amazing. It's almost unbelievable. 
And then from there to reason, okay, there's this awe that God has chosen me to be a, to partner with Him in the work of the kingdom. And then from there to reason, Lord, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to fall on my face. I want to be faithful to that which you have called me. I can't comprehend why you would choose and trust me, but you did, and I'm going to give it my best. <clears throat> it's the same sense of pride that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 1.31 and 2 Corinthians 10.17 when he says exactly the same thing in both, both verses. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's what Jesus has done in me. It is pride in who God is and what He has done and, and what He is doing. It is not arrogance, but an appropriate response to our great privilege that motes, motivates us to faithfulness in the trust we have been given. And we have been given a trust, have we not? <clears throat> so we have the privilege of being servants, we have the privilege of being entrusted with the secret things of God that really we, we are hoping become known things to other people that we share those things with. And then God has called us to be faithful as servants and with those things that He has entrusted us with. But as Paul moves into verses 3 and 4, he begins to speak of things that are threats to our sense of privilege. And these come in the, in the, well, in the form of different kinds of pressure. When we strive to, to be faithful and yet find ourselves slacking off, maybe it's because we are being subjected to pressures that have been more influential in our lives than our sense of privilege has been. So just what are those pressures? Well, Paul mentions three things here. The first is pressure from the church. You know, that can, be, that can come in a variety of forms. Things like this. We don't do it that way. Or, are you sure that's necessary? Or, is that something we really want to be involved in? It's pressure to do the same ministries the same way to the same people again and again and again. And the reason this becomes a pressure is because as long as you do things that way, there's no uncomfortable change, nothing unpredictable, no one is stretched, there's no risk. Boy, Jesus was a risk taker, if you ask me. And then there's pressure from the world. Paul says... Um, I care very little if I'm judged by you, the church of Corinth, or by any human court. The word translated human court in the Greek literally means man's day. It refers to secular contemporary society. We call it the world. Some Christians don't have to worry much about this pressure. You see, you don't feel it unless... You are moving into the world as stewards of the mysteries of God. But when we do, 
we will encounter the pressure of resistance. It's a pressure that comes from taking a stand that is in opposition to the majority. It is a pressure of proclaiming that mankind really isn't good enough, that we can't do it ourselves, and that we all need Jesus. It's the pressure of honoring God in situations where everyone else finds it easier not to or just plain don't want to. It's the pressure we experience in the world that we live in. And then, sometimes, it's the pressure we place on ourselves. It's pressure from ourselves. You've all experienced it. Well, I'm, I'm really not doing it well enough, or I don't think I'm making a difference. Or the expectation of things going a certain way, only to have things happen differently than you plan, and so we feel like we're failing. A pastor mentor once told me, with God there is no success or failure, there is only obedience. You do what God tells you to, you leave the results in His hands. That will take the pressure off. So how do we handle these pressures? Well, we keep one thing in mind. I am privileged to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I am privileged to be a steward of the mysteries of God and there is only one thing I must do. Be faithful. Be faithful. Stuart Briscoe has commented on these uh, verses 3 and 4 in this way. He says, Notice that the Apostle Apostle Paul handles all these vice grips or pressures in a very unusual way. He simply nullifies the pressure points. Paul says, I care care very little if I am judged by you. Now, can you just see Paul dictating this to the writer of the letter, his secretary? And the writer, after Paul says this, looks up and says, you want me to write that? Yes. You don't mean that. Yes. You mean you're going to tell those Corinthians, I care very little if I am judged by you? Yes. Well, that'll go over like a lead balloon down in Corinth. I know, but it's the truth. Oh, by the way, while you're at it, tell them that I care very little little if I'm judged by any human court either. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. And then, parentheses, Briscoe says, what the Apostle Paul is saying, in essence, is this. Look, you're sure to be subjected to a whole lot of pressures, and you've got to discount most of them. And so the secretary looks up and says to Paul, you are an anarchist, you are lawless, you're just doing your own thing. And Paul says, no, I'm not through yet. Write this down. There is one who judges me, and that is the Lord. And the secretary writes it down and says, Oh, wow. 
You know, Paul was not so thick-skinned that he totally ignored the criticisms of others, but he had learned to put it in a larger perspective. While we often learn helpful things from those who are critical to us, we must never let them become the sole judge of our ministry. You know, one of the things that, talk about a larger perspective, that's one of the things about the Apostle Paul that impresses me. The Apostle Paul, I think, had the big picture in mind all the time. All the time. You know, remember... He talked about his light and momentary trouble. And when you think about what Paul went through, that's an amazing statement. But you can only make that in the light of eternity, in light of the bigger picture. And that's what Paul's keeping in mind in his words to the Corinthians here as well, the bigger picture. So Paul reminds us that there's one thing that helps us keep all these things in perspective. It is the Lord who judges me. That's the one I must be obedient to. As a a Hupirates, I'm listening for the voice of the captain. The Lord has called me to be his servant. It is the Lord who has called me to be his steward. It is the Lord who equips me. It is the Lord who gives me this high privilege of being his servant of holding the entrusted things and being a steward of those. And it is to Him that I am answerable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, Paul writes this, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What a sense a privilege we should have as God's people. Amen? But maybe you're saying as you've listened, I'm not sure I've, I feel that sense of privilege. Or maybe I've lost the sense of pride in being called by the Lord Jesus and entrusted by Him. I feel like I've grown spiritually sloppy. I've been motivated by those outside pressures and influences. And Jesus, please forgive me. I want that sense of privilege of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ, to be entrusted with the the mysteries, the secrets of God that really are not to be secrets at all, but are to be shared with others. And I want to be faithful. I don't want to be impacted by the influences, the pressures of the world, of the church, or even others. I want to be obedient to you, Lord God, and to you alone. Bow your head with me for a moment. Lord Jesus, I think we all understand what it means to feel pressure. I mean, it can come from a variety of ways. Maybe others that have not been mentioned this morning. Oh, I know we've certainly all felt pressure from the world we live in. We've all felt the pressure we've exerted on ourselves at times. And maybe pressure from others within the church as we were trying to be obedient to what 
you had called us to. And as a result of that, Father, we've kind of backed away. We've slowed down. We've become spiritually sloppy and we don't have that sense of privilege of what it means to be an underroar for Jesus Christ that we should have. And Father, if that's where we are at this morning, any one of us, we know that we can come to You and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The one I want to please above all others, above above any pressure exerted on me, the one I want to please is You. I want to have that sense of great privilege that it is to be a follower, a servant of Jesus Christ, a hupirates. I want to have this sense of privilege in knowing that I have been entrusted with the secrets of God, the mysteries, which are those things that you really want to reveal to others, the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in spite of the pressure that may be exerted on me or that has been in the past, I want to be faithful. I don't want to let you down. I don't want to fall on my face. I don't want to drop the ball. I want to be faithful. So Lord, forgive me when I've not been true to that calling. And please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Give me the strength and the determination and the courage and the boldness and that incredible sense of privilege that will help me be faithful to your call on my life as a servant and one entrusted with the good news. And Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Step back to 1782. And saying, blessed be the tie that binds. So everybody pick up your oar. And uh, we all need to be in this, we're all in this boat together. And I want to get to, you know, to heaven someday. And we really do need each other, as Reuben Welch always said. Let's go ahead and sing as we close.
Smith.